going through the car wash this week. The gents are sick of my Arsenal chats. The last time uh, Arsenal won the the league, which is I was a young boy. I was a young boy. No, but let me. Sean Roberts, fat shames Eden Hazard. You know, if you arrive at Real Madrid, a fat. You got issues, man. So. <laughs> yeah, that I chunky donkey. Yeah. <laughs> and Teko Modise opens up about his tough journey to the PSL. And I always said that if I had an opportunity to be part of the academy, I think I would have been a better player because mm. I started being coached at a professional level, you know, from the dusty streets straight to the PSL. I think I would have been a better player. Today is a great day for a car wash. Yeah, sure. Car wash. <laughs> <laughs> this is the car wash on Sakala Duma Radio. Good day and welcome to the car wash. This is episode number 37. On today's show, football is back, baby. Will Chiefs, <laughs> Will Chiefs be able to make some new signings before next season? Who knows? And Alan Clark leaves Black Leopards ahead of the PSL restart. Whether you're listening to us on SL Radio, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or even Game Time on Mahikang FM, welcome to the show. I am not alone in your eardrums like a priest in a church. He is now Father Sean Roberts. How you doing, Sean? <laughs> Thank you, Sue. Yes, I'm good, brother. Thank you very much. Father Sean, I'll take that. And on his return to the show, if he started a club using his initials, it would be TTMFC. It's Teko Modise. How you doing, sir? I'm good, man. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. Uh, so before we dive in, some unfortunate news. Uh, since the last show, the, pri- the Pirates fraternity has lost uh, Martina Koza, wife of Chairman Irvin Koza. Uh, con- thoughts and condolences to the Koza family. And also prominent Orlando Pirates supporter Mandla Mgijimi Sindane has passed away. Um, he is an iconic supporter of the club. Uh, I-, I mentioned on my Twitter feed that whether it was 500 or 90,000 supporters in that stadium, the camera always found him Gijimi. So uh, rest in peace to him. But let us dive into the show. And it's fitting that we bring back pole position. Pole position. Pole position is where we present a question on our Facebook to the fans. And we ask them to send in their voice notes. And of course, we had to ask you for your ABSA Premiership and Ned Bank Cup predictions. Have a listen. I think KZH should win this league and Profundity Celtics is going to be NetBank winners. I'm hoping that we as Kaiser Chiefs can maintain our position on top of the lockup until the end. But the reality is, Josh Malulekas departure, it really matters a lot. The AFSA Chiefs will win the AFSA definitely. It's going to be too much of a fight for Kaiser Chiefs to try and hold firmly onto first position. I think Mamadou Sundowns, given the strength and the quality in their team, will come up on top. And for me, it's obvious Sundowns will win both. So, some strong predictions there. But before we get into talking about the fixtures and also the venues which have just been confirmed, uh, gents, initial reactions, Sean. Mm. PSL is officially coming back. Mm, mm, mm. Jeez, it's about time, hey? <laughs> now we've got some good stuff to talk about. I don't make it up. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited. They go. Oh, man, I mean, we've, we've been missing football, especially in the country. I mean, yeah, like Shona said, I think now we have more stuff to talk about. And I'm also thinking that also the players 
as well. They've been eager to go back and play. You know, like the chairman has said, he wanted to see that the PSL, you know, is finished on the pitch. And that's what also as fans, but that's what we want to see as well. So there's a lot of predictions that fans want to do. There's a lot of game that we want to see. You know, there's a lot of teams that needs to go out. A lot of teams need to be promoted. So it's going to be a very interesting month. Yeah. And, um, you know, before we get into the uh, discussion around the bio bubble and and, uh, and possibilities there, uh, we have uh, the start date. So the Nedbank Cup semifinals will be held on August 8th and then the league resumes August 11th. Uh, so, you know, these venues are interesting. They just confirmed it through a live draw on Supersport. And um, so two things stand out to me. Kaiser Chiefs at Orlando Stadium as their home base. And also, Bidvest Vits will never play at Bidvest Stadium again. It's done. They, they, they will end their campaign at the FNB Stadium. Uh, what do you make of this uh, interesting uh, system for, for, for selecting uh, home venues, Ron? Yeah, I've actually just realized that um, what you just said, that Bidvest Vits will not play at uh, um, the stadium, their home ground again. It's just the most bizarre thing to even comprehend. But... You know, it is what it is. Um, obviously, with the sale of it's going through, it is still quite a soft spot, and uh, I'm still hurting from that. But yeah, I mean, it's it gives an interesting conclusion to the rest of the the season for sure, um, and I'm sure it'll keep us glued to our seats to see what's happening. It's it brings a, a different element to the game. Obviously, it's not how we want it to be seen to be concluded, but uh, it'll for sure keep us glued to the the screens the next uh, four to five weeks, however long it's going to take. And what do you think of what do you think of the what Chiefs at Orlando though? Oh, but for me, it's just that it's still in Soweto, so at least they're still familiar with uh, the surroundings. But of course, um, um, it's going to be very challenging for 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 Kale Chiefs. I think the players as well mentally, because now this is this is your 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 rivals, you know, home ground, and now you you you're going to use it now as a home ground. Now it's, I think it's one of those things that you need to readjust to it because it's. The new thing now that everybody's not going to be playing in their own pitches, so I think it's just just that the re readjustment, the short one. But anyway, I just hope that the pitches are well because the last time I saw Orlando Stadium pitch, it wasn't that uh, in good conditions. So I just hope that all these uh, grounds that are being uh, assigned for teams to play at, I think I just hope that within within now when the time comes for, for us for the games actually to start playing, I just hope that the which is a perfect. Mm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you mentioned the, the the difficulties of perhaps playing elsewhere, but I remember the last time uh, Arsenal won the, the league, which is, oh, I was a go. young boy. I was again. a young boy. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. No, but let me it just tell you this. Winning a trophy at your rival stadium is low key. So dope. <laughs> like it's, it's the best, it's the best, like, <laughs> you to, to your rivals. <laughs> so it could be, it could be a lot of fun, but, Let's discuss some of the issues that could happen with this bio bubble. Um, so, you know, what would what would happen if a key player tests positive? What's the system going to be like? Do you think with um, with uh, these with the shared uh, home venue one, and also we don't know uh, the hotels and and all of the background, but um, do you see potential issues there, Sean? Yeah, of course, man. Of course, there's going to be issues, but you know we've got to have faith now in the PSL that they've they've done their homework. Um, the hotels are up to scratch. I'm sure that um, they're not going to let any player out of their sight. Uh, obviously, it's going to be tough for the boys being away from their families for I presume it's four to five weeks. I actually don't know, um, but but I think Sundowns have already been in, in quarantine. They they've been training at um, uh, in Rustenburg, so they've been away for two and a half weeks already. 
Um, so these guys, by the signs of it, are going to be away from home for up to up to eight weeks, which is um, it's, which is a sacrifice, but uh, it'll be worth it at the end. But for sure, Slew, there's going to be issues. I mean, like you say, if, if someone does test positive, what happens? And I don't know what happens. Um, if, if one of the star players of Sundowns or, or Chiefs or Pirates test positive, what actually happens? So although we're excited, we need to be very, very careful. Um, but very interested to see how all this is going to be managed because I think SAF and the PSL really need to come together and work as a team. And, and if they do that properly, we're in for a fantastic finale to, towards the end of the season. I think with, with, with the issues that uh, we might face, I just hope that they're going to be minimal because also as, as a team, you wouldn't want to have your star player you know, testing positive. You know, can, you, know you, can, you can say like you know, your big teams, like your Mayama, September Zwanis, and all your Kapaginos, at least, at least those big teams have got numbers. You know, they've got players that can actually come in and probably maybe do the job. But imagine a Missouri when Boeing League test positive won't be there. And this is the guy that only scores for them. So mm. I think it's going to be very, very challenging for smaller teams. But in a game, the chairman also said that he's, he's, he's giving them um, a number of people that can come into the bubble. So I think um, the teams need to choose wisely as to the number that comes in because of anticipating such disasters. Because you need to have more players that you can pull out, pull out from. But I think the teams that are going to benefit more are the big three, the ones who have big squads. Like Sean has said, I think some guys have been preparing very well. So for them being away from home, it's not a, it's not a new thing. You know, they, they always in Champions League. That's, those are the kind of sacrifices that they're going through. But also, it's 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 one of those things that shows that they really, really, really want to end the season very well. They really want to win the league. But also, it's, it comes pressure for KZ Chiefs because everybody is, 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 is looking at KZ Chiefs if they're going to maintain, maintain that. But also, the challenge for them is this is probably seems like a new season. So it's going to be very, very difficult. And also the question that I also want to ask is if, if Casey Chiefs happens that they win the league, right? What are they going to do? Are they going to give Josh Maluka his medal? Or what are they going to say? Like mm-hmm. For me, it's, 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 it's very, very disturbing to see that happening because now you played almost every game you qualified to win the league. But knowing how teams operate in South Africa, you know, it's it's it'll be very interesting to see at the end what's going to happen. I, I I do know if uh, from from European football that uh, George would would walk away with a medal if it was a European club. I don't know the ins and outs here though, um, because I've seen players go out on loan to a team and get recalled by their their parent team and still win a medal if the team they were out on loan at wins a trophy. So it, it could be like that. We'll see. Um, another issue that we have to discuss is obviously we've seen in Europe how players get injured more easily uh, upon the return to football. Uh, Sundowns even during training have had a a few injuries. Um, Do you think that this is something that, um, uh, you know, is is also, it's also related to the depth of the team, but but how much does that weigh on the minds of of, of these coaches uh, going in and looking at their tactics and looking at their schedule, Sean? Yeah, it's it's a tough one, hey? And I think this is where experience comes in, especially from the coaching staff. Um, but, I mean, it, it's it's also winter, so the ground is a lot harder than it would be in summer. So um, you need to be very wary of, you know, what boots these guys are wearing. Are they wearing six studs? Are they wearing multi-studs? I hope they're all wearing multi-studs. But, you know, uh, the staff can only prevent so much, you know, and, and I think it's how these guys, it all comes down to how these guys have been looking after themselves during this eight weeks or 10 weeks that they've been at home. So I'm hoping 
that they've all been professional, and I'm sure they have. But without doubt, there are going to be injuries, and it's how that is going to be managed that is going to be key. And this is where the experience of the backroom staff is going to show through now. And Deco, you never had an injury in your career, so how do you do? You think you would have managed through the through the bio bubble too? Um, I think I would have managed, but the problem is also you need to touch the ball as many times as you can, especially as an infield footballer. So, you know, just training at home is not enough. And also looking at, I think the biggest challenge will be if I had to go back and what position of the team that I'm playing for are at, because that's more pressure. If you're playing for top eight, you know, you can always bounce back within the second game of, 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 of the league resuming. But now when you can achieve from, from, from the first minute, it needs to be on fire. And that also may come to a point where you see players initially getting injured within the first two games or so. So I think it will go down as well to, to the numbers that we've always spoke about that kids Chiefs don't have enough depth. And I think this will be a biggest challenge that they have to face if they actually have injuries. Forget about testing positive. You know, look at the injuries. If they have injuries as well within the team, I think they're gonna see they're gonna see flames because Mamdi Sanans have the depth and have the players that are ready that can come in and play. Whoever gets injured, they can be replaced. But you can't say the same for King and Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, Chiefs um, fans have called out Coach Ernst Middendorp um, on his lack of creativity when his system doesn't work, right? So his system has worked quite a bit. I mean, they're on top of the log, but he doesn't seem to, to, to be able to adapt when when it's not really working against the team. We saw that against Maritzburg. We saw that against some of the smaller teams um, who, who are struggling. And particularly when it comes to that relegation battle, there's no easy fixtures left for any of these teams. Um, so it's you know the, the the conclusion of the season is going to be um, you know as as on fire as any conclusion we've ever seen. I think it, it's going to go all the way down to the wire. Um, and here's a here's a here's a question that we have to ask. Um, we celebrate the return of this season, but considering how long it's taken um, and you know the issues between Safa and the PSL and uh, the potential of players leaving this bubble during the off season. What does next season then look like? Are we going to have to uh, put together another bio bubble? Luckily, uh, it'll be warmer months. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that um, that this is a signal that we'll be ready for next season? Or do you think that these delays make you a little bit nervous, Sean? Yeah, it, it, de- it definitely does make me nervous. Um, I, I think... That's a good question. So I think they well, first of all, I don't think there will be an off season, to be honest. I think they're gonna literally go from this season into the next. And I can't see in things in terms of COVID improving much over the next four or five weeks. So um I reckon there still might be a sort of bio bubble towards the first what should I say, six to eight weeks of next season. Um that's what I see. Which is which again begs the question of these guys being away from their families for so long. So it'll be very interesting to see how all this is handled. But yeah, for sure, it's going to be a very different season next week. I think the first six months will sort of be jam-packed and then hopefully sort of equalize into the final six months of next season where where we hope to see a bit more normality in terms of professional sports in South Africa, not just football, obviously. I think it's it's, it's going to be very, very challenging for, for players because they might get a little bit of a break, maybe three days or a week or so and come back and resume their pre-season. And uh, I, feel, I feel bad for, for the teams that actually have to go for the playoffs because I don't think they'll actually have a break whatsoever. 
especially when you're fighting for relegation, whatever the case may be, you come back, the radio season about to start, and also with the jam-pack season that we, that's going to happen because now they need to play catch-up. I think also bearing in mind also that uh, the FIFA calendars are as important, so they will, they will actually want to to be in that standard where they, there's a gap for FIFA calendars and the, the league also runs very well. So I think for now, I think the players, the challenge that they need to they need to do is, is readjusting to the norm. This is what's going to happen. Like Shona said, there might be a bar bubble before the end of the, um, maybe first couple of games. But this is this is what we do, man. This is football. Football you sacrifice. These are the kind of things that you sacrifice for. Yes, it's not nice to be away from home, away from your family for such a long time. But this is the, this is this is football. That's what you want to do. If you don't want to do that, then go be a radio jockey chief. Go be a DJ. <laughs> And you can play at home and you can send them, you know, your USB cable, whatever the case may be. But for now, I think football, it is it is where we are. And I think that's what everybody's doing all around the world. It's not only us. I think every footballer suffers. And uh, those are the kind of sacrifices that we've seen. Also, you've seen other teams as well in the Europe where they're playing Champions League. They're back training again. You know, yeah. La Liga finished a couple of weeks ago, a week ago. They're back training again for Champions League. So this is, this is the kind of sacrifice that you have to do. Yeah, yeah, um, and I mean, I, I'd say to the players in the PSL, they should um, they should treat it like they're playing abroad. A lot of the players that I speak to who are playing overseas, the separation from family is the leading thing that they that they miss about South Africa, and so mm. um, it's just one of those things. Uh, best of luck to all of them. But uh, moving forward, we have to get a, a joke of the day uh, from from Sean, who's who's back in the in the hot seat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Um, what time would it be when Teco needs to go to the dentist? <laughs> Two thirty. <laughs> oh no! I hate you. <laughs> Two thirty. Damn! I hate you, son. Uh, <laughs> I like that. Like I like that you throw Teco in there as well. <laughs> Uh, all right, real quick before we dive into international news desk with our boy Kurt, uh, we need to discuss this possibility of um, Chiefs potentially being able to sign players before next season. So for those who are uh, a bit confused, uh, knowing the ban situation, Chiefs appeal date is set for September 9th. Now that the PSL is finally back and we have dates, we know that the, the last fixture is set for September 6th, but that the transfer window would need to be extended to accommodate that. So um, there may be a possibility of Chiefs successfully appealing their ban and then being able to sign players ahead of the next season. So, do you think that um, that the that the signs are positive, um, and and that and that Chiefs might be able to strengthen for a potential title defense or for a potential fight uh, for revenge if Sundowns would claim it, Sean? Uh, yeah, it's all looking very positive for Chiefs, isn't it? So, um, as a neutral, uh, for sure, and, you, and you've seen the movements in the press as well in terms of the the sort of players that. Uh, Chiefs have sort of earmarked. And I've, I've always said I do feel that this ban is going to be overturned. Um, uh, uh, it'll be great for SA football if it is, and I think it will be. And yes, this with with the um, 
with the window being extended, it very, very, it looks very, very good for Chiefs, doesn't it? So, and 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 like I say, there's there's some proper players, especially from bits that are up for grabs in terms of what's been happening with the sale of bits and stuff. So, so watch the space. That's all I can say. Deco, I remember you had some strong feelings about the ban when it was initially given to them. You said that they may be deserving of the ban. Uh, due to the way that they do business. So what are your thoughts here? I don't want to throw you under the bus. <laughs> For me, I'd, I'd say, I, I think until the window uh, period has been finalized, um, I think it's highly unlikely for them to be able to sell unless, unless the appeal falls under the new window that we maybe we might get a date from. Or also, maybe it might work, I guess, uh, also for Chiefs because, like Shona said, there's players from Vets that may be signed as free agents. So maybe that might work well for Casey Chiefs. But I think I think also we need to pay uh, pay attention to the dates as well. I think with the appeal coming in September, not knowing exactly when the winter period is, I think that might be a little bit tricky. But but I feel like right now that I feel like um the the the, the deal might be done correctly for Chiefs. Chiefs might be able to sign players going forward because we want to see Chiefs stepping their team as well. We want to see Kizzy Chiefs yeah. being shown next season. And if they, it happens that they do win the league, we want to see Kizzy Chiefs participating very well in, in Champions League and representing the country very well. I think also it's, it's a lesson for them to do things properly from now on, you know. Um, yeah, man, I think for me, just just wait and see uh, the, the new date that's going to be given to us by Ivan and uh, let's see what they're going to do. So, Teko, here's a question for me. If... If, um, as a player as well, so it's, it's hard for me to get an answer here, but if Chiefs could sign, or which they can, but they, they could literally sign any player they wanted to now for the season after next, uh, would you as a player, I'm not mentioning any names, say a, a Vitz player that's, and, and Chiefs have subst- uh, put a substantial offer on the table for you to sign for Chiefs knowing that you can only play not next season, but the season after. Would you take that risk as a player, knowing that you've got a very good contract in front of you? Bear in mind that there's no Bafana games, I don't think, uh, anytime soon. So there's nothing really uh, big for them to be fighting for. Would you, as a player for Vert, sign a deal, uh, start getting paid from Chiefs, knowing that you can't play for the next nine months and when the new season kicks in, um, sort of take it, take it as it comes? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand what you're saying. That you know, look, first of all, playing for Kansas Chiefs, I think it's 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 um, it will be a dream come true for I think most of the players in the country. You know, playing mm. for a big team is for all we we playing for. Um, but to stay out of the game for nine months and wait for the other season, I think that would be very challenging. Unless it happens that the deal maybe I sign with Kansas Chiefs and I, and I get loaned out somewhere mm. else where I can play, maybe to Marysburg, whatever the case, maybe I can play a season there, then that's perfect. Mm-hmm. But I like staying out, out, completely out without playing. I think that will be the biggest challenge that any player would face. And I don't think yeah. that will be um, an ideal situation for any player to, to, to sign a deal like that. I think if you sign with KZG right now and, you, and uh, they loan you out, and then I think that's perfect. And uh, Sean, a question that I have for you, because you happen to be a Man City fan. Um, do you think that uh, Man City getting their ban overturned from FIFA signals that perhaps FIFA isn't, you know, being uh, like too harsh when it comes to these bans and that they're willing to 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 hear the reason of the clubs? <laughs> oh, man, it's it's 
you know, as a city fan, you know, you, you count your lucky stars as well. So, as and that's why I'm saying, I think everything now is sort of falling into the lap of Kaiser Chiefs. You've seen that happen at a big team like City. Kaiser Chiefs, certainly one of the biggest teams in Africa. I don't see why it can't happen to them. But, um, you know, as I said, as a football neutral, um, I would like to see the ban be overturned. Um, again, I don't know what's happening behind the scenes or what actually did happen for this to, to actually occur. But I think anybody in the country, whether you're a Chiefs fan or not, would like to see Chiefs in the transfer window making some signings this season and fighting for the league uh, next year as they have this season for sure. Yeah, because I ain't going to lie, man. City City looked hella, hella dodgy if I'm, if I'm being honest. Yo. Uh, but but um, I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a big man City hater. I ain't going to lie. Yeah. Uh, but uh, speaking of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of uh, European teams, it's time for the International News Desk. And that means that we welcome Mr. Kurt Buckerfield. Kurt, how you doing? What's up, guys? What's up, Father Sean, Checo, welcome back. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So uh, we start with Europe's most expensive signings and how they've performed this season. You've put together a list. Walk us through this and, and let us know your thoughts on their performances. Yeah, it was just um, interesting looking back at the, the 10 most expensive players um, that were signed by big European clubs this season. Um, leading the way, I think, was João Felix, 126 million euros from Benfica to Atletico. Um, and if you look at that price tag, you'd probably expect him to come in and have an immediate impact. But, you know, he's really one for the future. He didn't have a great season, scored just eight goals. Um, but I do think that there is still loads to come from this guy. He looks a really talented player. So all round a difficult season. Um for for Eden Hazard, that was an interesting one. I, I was looking at some of his stats. Um, you know, he only scored one goal all season. Of course, Real Madrid are still in the, the Champions League. But he had five different injuries, um, which led to led him to miss 27 games um, across all competitions. Um, and I don't know if you guys remember, but he actually arrived pretty overweight, which I thought was quite unprofessional. I know that's not politically correct in this climate um, but as a professional player you're expected to you know be disciplined um, when it comes to your your own health etc so yeah I think it was um, a strange one for Hazard of course you know the feeling isn't that Real Madrid wasted money on him I think he's still a quality player um, but I'd be actually interested to hear how like Teco and Sean feel about Hazard going to Real Madrid pretty late in his career I think that he it felt like he left it Almost too late. I don't know how you guys feel about that, Slew. Yeah, I think it's dollar signs, brother. Dollar signs, hey? I mean, yeah. you know, without a doubt, he's, he is world-class. He is absolutely world-class. And I do agree with you, Kurti Boy, that uh, you know, if you arrive at Real Madrid, a fat <laughs> you've got issues, man. So, <laughs> yeah, that chunky donkey. politically correct, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, he is a phenomenal, phenomenal player. I mean, what can you say? But yeah, I mean, let's hope he gets himself into... Uh, uh, pristine condition for next season. Deco? Uh, I think you're right. He left it to the end. Um, I think he was supposed to be Chelsea a long time ago. But also, bear in mind that, um, you know, uh, Real Madrid, they play Champions League every season. And as a top player, those are the kind of things that you want to bring about. You know, that's Champions League. You want to win that every time. You want to play that competition every time because they're competing against the best teams in the world. 
you know, there's no point of being the best in, in, in English Premier League the next thing is with nothing to show for. I think he, he also wanted it, probably maybe a new challenge. But it was it was it was difficult for me to 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 see the way he arrived. Like you said, he was overweight. You know, I'm a Harvard <laughs> fan, and uh, with that overweight, obviously there will be injuries, and um, and also, amen. Uh, I think also with the pressure as well for playing. You know, in that kind of a team. You know, well-established team where you know for a fact that you're not the star player. You know, there's six or seven of you you guys that. You know, can win the game for the team, and I think he need to readjust to that. I've seen him doing well in the national team with superstars in the team. I think he will be back as long as he sort out his injuries and his weight. I think he's still a quality player, and I think there's still more that he can offer Real Madrid. Even though I'm not a Real Madrid fan, I hate them. Yeah. <laughs> and and Teko, actually, just on that now, I was going to ask you about Griezmann and what you thought about his performances because he didn't contribute to well, he scored 15 goals, which on paper doesn't look too bad, but. Based on the transfer fee um, and being a, a World Cup winner, and he arrived with this reputation. Of course, it was like he, he arrived at Barcelona a year late. He was supposed to join them the season before, but he did this whole. I don't know if you guys remember this, but he dropped this whole video to essentially announce that he was rejecting Barcelona, and then joins them the next season. So I think, to be honest, he made a bit of a fool of himself in that regard. Um, but in terms of his like uh, way he was playing on the field, he. You know, Barcelona traditionally play with inside forwards, a right footer on the left, a left footer on the right. Griezmann was a left footer on the left. And he looked like a defensive winger at times. Um, he was more involved in, in breaking up play and in tracking back than he was with Messi and Suarez on the other end of the field. So how did you feel about that, Tickle? You know, sometimes when I'm watching him play in Barcelona, um, I, it takes me forever to actually pinpoint or exactly what is it that he's doing on the pitch. Because I think um, he's not playing in his right position, and I also he he is he didn't adjust in time. Yes, he yeah. arrived at the right time, you know, after winning the World Cup with that feeling. It's it's a great time, it's a great feeling. But uh, his adjustment took forever, and I don't think he was free, you know, to play his normal game because like you could see his understanding with the players, it wasn't clicking at all. It's like you make runs, you will never be given the ball, and when Saris picked the run, he will be given the ball. I think also. Also boils down to players that you're playing with if they trust you enough, and I think it's slowly, slowly uh, getting uh, the players to trust them. Because also playing in Barcelona is a very, very, very difficult team to play in. Also, you know that the superstars there, you know the guys Messi, Messi that runs the show, and uh, you coming into that team where you were playing in Atletico, where you were the guy. So coming in there, we've seen we've we've seen players coming in Barcelona in and out. The only person that actually came in and actually rose to the occasion with Neymar, but also he did that on the second second season as well. Like his first season also, he yeah. scored like 14 goals. So I yeah. think there's, there's more that we can see from Griezmann coming next season, probably if they start playing in the right position, because I still, I still feel like we're still forcing Suarez, the old Suarez. I don't think we will ever see the old Suarez. I think Suarez is very slow right now. He's not a good finisher as he used to be. And I think Griezmann will be the guy, but if that's if he's ready. You know? Yeah, mm. and then um, I think we just got two more guys. Uh, Harry Maguire, who who joined Manchester United for eighty million. Look, I'm I've been vocal about this. I'm not this guy's biggest fan, and it's just because he reminds me of that guy on the school ground who always gets the ball through his legs. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think 
I think on balance, he did probably improve Manchester United's defence, um, but more in terms of, I think, leadership and professionalism. I don't, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be Manchester United's yeah, star centre-back. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 100% agree with you there. And if you look, so, so I'm always, as an ex-keeper, I always look at, um, if there's a world-class goalkeeper in goals, you've got to look at the defence in front of you. I mean, Peter Schmeichel had a world-class mm. defence. Buffon's always had a world-class defence. De Gea now, who's going through a rough patch of note, and you look at the defence in front of him, he's, he's having to make saves you would, he would never have to make, usually. Or, and, and again, when you have to make saves you, you, you would never have to make, um, there's obviously going to be mistakes. And I think, yeah. I'm not saying it's all Harry Maguire's fault, for sure, but just United's defense in general. But for 80 million pounds, I mean, come on, man. That's the thing. That's five yeah. million more than Virgil van Dijk. And yeah. so we have to talk about it through that lens. Yeah. Is Harry Maguire five million pounds better than Virgil? Hell no. Yeah, exactly. And I honestly had a bit of a laugh to myself the other day. I was just sitting in my room and I started laughing to myself, thinking about Harry Maguire defending Robert Lewandowski or Karim Benzema, no. you know, <laughs> playing against the biggest players in the Champions League. Yeah. Um, as I said, man, he's just that guy on the school ground that everyone kind of, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. For, for me, what I'll, what I'll say is like what he brings into the team is that leadership. Because mm. um, because because I've, I've been watching Manchester the way they play. Um, I, I also think that the, the biggest issue that they have, especially at the back there, is that those centre centre back pairing. I think there's been chopping and changing too many times, and uh, they fail to find the right combination. And also, Maguire is not a good footballer; like he's, he's he's not a better passer of the ball, and he likes doing this thing that he used to do with Leicester, where he comes in with the ball and then he yeah. gets. He doesn't know what to do with the ball. I think there should be better understanding as to what is it that he can do. He needs to understand that he's playing at Manchester United where everybody shares the same responsibility. But I think he, he brings in that leadership because of, if, you, if, if you remember at the beginning of the season, he, he was the guy at the back and then Manchester United wasn't winning too many games. They needed, they needed somebody that was more creativity. They looked at Popa Popa was dancing yeah. on Instagram until... Who's this boy? Fernandez. What's his name? Yeah, uh, Bruno. Bruno. Yeah, Bruno came into the pitch, and then Bruno is bigger. So now, when Bruno shows up, they give him the ball because they trust him that much. But I think mm. with with Maguire, the price tag was crazy. Like I've always had a problem with the price tags. I don't know who chooses these price tags. Um, <laughs> I don't think he deserved to be bought in so much, so much money. Um, but he's he's not a bad defender. But he's not a. Is is we can't compare him to to Van Dijk. Van Dijk is a footballer he, he's got football yeah. brains he knows the past the ball he can score goals so i think also we need to also see him like um, probably maybe looking at next season maybe he might improve on certain things because also it was his first season and it's also sometimes it's very difficult to from a small team to play in the big team sure and i could uh, before you move on there do you think that Maguire is also being exposed because uh, there's this new system that everyone's using of playing from the back and it, and it puts him under pressure a lot. You have to be able to make snap judgments. Do you think he's being exposed there? Yeah, for sure. I don't know. How to, uh, yeah, I, I think so. And look, there seems to be this idea that Maguire is good on the ball. Um, and, that's, and that's the reason he plays for England and he is England's main centre-back. Um, Southgate was very clear about his reasoning for dropping Chris Smalling, for example, saying that until he learns to play with the ball at his feet, he won't be in my team. And Maguire seems to be the guy that everybody looks to as a ball-playing centre-half. But when you compare him with, with like John Terry and Rio Ferdinand, those guys of, you know, the past, um, there's really actually no comparison. So probably, Slew, um, 
probably I just I, I definitely don't see what Southgate sees. Um and I kind of feel silly for like thinking that my opinion is better than Southgate's. But when I watch Maguire, I don't see a footballer. Okay, um, but go, go, I don't Kurt, know if it's just because he looks but, unorthodox. But Kurt, who do you who do you choose instead of Maguire currently in the current squad? In the current England setup. Yeah, and we could talk about we could talk about John Terry being in the past. So he's phenomenal, but you know he's not going to <laughs> he's not going to be picked now. No, yeah. of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Um, you're probably going to have to go with Maguire. Yeah, Fine, Sean. Exactly. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than that, and then do we have one more on the list there? Um, yeah, I think um, Nicola Pepe, Nicolas Pepe, Nicola Pepe, as the commentators call him. Um, I think that he wasn't as bad as people made out. He was he arrived for eighty million. Um, but to borrow an old cliche quote, I think he's got that something special. I think that he can produce. Um, you know, that brilliant moment, he scored a couple of free kicks in one Europa League game. Um, I think it was a Europa League game. Um, he, he got the, that phenomenal assist for Aubameyang's goal against City in Arsenal's 2-1 win. Um, so he's a, he's a brilliant player, I think, um, who, again, has just been hard done by, by his price tag. That wasn't his fault. He has no control over that. Um, but Slu, I'm interested to hear what you think. Uh, you, you're an Arsenal fan. How do you feel about this guy? I like him. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Arsenal's biggest issue always is in our defense and central midfield. And also, we have to preface this whole thing by saying it's been a terrible season. Absolutely yeah, exactly. horrendous season. Literally the worst. It's the worst Arsenal Premier League campaign ever. Like worse than Wenger at his worst, worse than... Uh, anything and you know we started with Unai Emery and we just we've just looked so weak in central midfield and that's where our creative hub usually is mm. you know Ozil hasn't featured much for us this season he hasn't we haven't had that creative outlet from the back and so you know you look at Obama Yang Arsenal ranked 16th in chances created and mm. Obama Yang somehow still managed to score 22 goals and so I can't blame the front three at all I can't because when when there's not when there's no support they just have to take what they get um, and I think I think you put Nicolas Pepe under uh, under uh, you know uh, a Lampard from the start or under uh, Pep from the start, they'd be able they'd be better utilized. But because we had to change managers and now Arteta is building his and uh, fair enough, Arteta looks great and mm. he looks and it's it's Pep's kind of ideology that you see him bringing into Arsenal, but that's going to take time. Um, and I think Pepe is starting to find his feet now. Those crosses are starting to look beautiful. That link-up play that he has with um, Ceballos or Bellerin on the right is great. But man, it's been a tough season to watch my my, my Arsenal. It's been hard, eh? Yeah. Mm. But Lou, it's also just like really about buying into, you know, Arteta's system, which is much more demanding um, off the ball and on the ball. You're expected to be, you know, at it at a hundred percent all the time. It's it's like what you see with City yes. um, and Guardiola. So it's really just about getting uh, Pepe working off the ball, pressing, and just tactically discipline, um, and then of course making the right ch- uh, choice on the ball more often. I think. So, I think. Um, yeah. If 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 I'm an Arsenal board member, I'm looking at Arteta now and saying, right, I'm going to give you two to three seasons. We're going to invest in you and let your course. let your vision just. Sh- uh, excel on the field because that's what they've been lacking since Wenger's gone, you know, is someone who's coming in and said, right, this is how I'm going to play. I believe it'll work. And I think Arteta is the guy to do it. Yeah, me too. For, for me, I would say, um, I don't think um, with the system that he's trying to implement at Arsenal, I don't think he's got the right players for it. 
Because I've seen, I've, I've seen how Arsenal are struggling. You know, when they lose the ball, how much they're struggling. You can see how much it, it, it requires from uh, Uber to come back and check back and be the, the outlet when they have the ball, when they counter take it. That's too much. Of course, he's the captain. He wants to do more. But I don't think that Arteta the, the, the has the squad. Of course, he's got the younger ones. I think there's always been a big problem this season in that creativity. Like Lewis said, I think they, they build up with too many players. They build up with four players at the back. Why you build up with four players at the back? Which means you don't you don't trust your midfields. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I think there's the, the big issue there. And I'm sure that Ateta being the smart guy that he is, he knows what he needs to do. Plus, they give him a check to sign players. So hopefully he'll do the right signings. And uh, he'll sign players that will be able to adjust into the system that he wants to play. Because for me, I don't I don't I don't understand why he plays Uber on the left. First of all, I, I don't get it because Uber can't dribble past anybody. Yeah. So 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 that requires too many things from the left. And uh and and for me, Uber is the top guy. He needs to play as a striker, especially with the teams that are very slow at the back is always a threat. And if you want if you want him to score more, have somebody that is more creative uh behind him or you know, putting those through balls because he relies on his speed and is very good at it. I just think that Ateta is still finding himself as well, trying to adjust to what the, the player that he has. Yeah. And hopefully maybe next season we'll see a better Arsenal because it's very sad to see Arsenal celebrating qualifying for top eight. Just on what Teko was saying, um, sometimes to balance out a team, you need to sell a big player and I think that that might that might be Lacazette um, because it is Lacazette that forces Aubameyang wide and I know that Lacazette's widely loved and he's he's really good technically but he isn't going to score as many goals as Aubameyang does it's that simple um, so I think that that would probably be the way to go especially if Arsenal are looking to you know balance the books and work um, smartly going forward yeah, yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how we fare against Chelsea and moving swiftly forward. Um, Chelsea and Man United qualify for the UEFA Champions League. Um, both of those teams kind of iffy seasons if we, if we look at it from, from, from the outside in. Uh, I, I, I see a lot of uh, the same kind of defensive issues yeah. for both of those sides. And uh, Chelsea, for example all of these attacking signings that they're making, but I, I, there's a great joke that somebody posted. He was like, this is my, um, my, my, my preferred starting 11 for Chelsea next season. And of course he has Werner there. He has uh, ZH there. But then if you look at the defense, he just said, God help us all. <laughs> for each of the four spots. So what do you make of their, their chances in the champions league next season? And also just uh, their seasons in general. Look, I don't think that, Either manager is under the illusion that they'll be winning the, the Champions League. Um, but of course, qualification is beneficial uh, economically, and which is, you know, that's more important than these times, in these times, sorry. Um, so I think, you know, of course, United and Chelsea both have huge wage bills um, and they're both expected to look very different next season. Chelsea have made a few signings in the form of Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech. Um, and United are expected or hoping to to make a few signings themselves, which of course becomes easier having qualified for Europe's biggest club competition. Um, you know, if you look at Arsenal down the years, Wenger kept them in that Champions League in those Champions League spots for for years, and it it, it made Arsenal financially strong. Um, but since they ha they've been struggling to qualify for Champions League, they're in big trouble. Um, so it's really important in terms of. 
you know, finances in terms of attracting players. But I don't think uh, Manchester United or Chelsea are, are trying to win the competi- uh, competition next season. You know? Sure. Definitely. Well, uh, a big thank you to you, Kurt, uh, for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you on. All the best. Nice to chat to you guys. Cheers, Thanks, man. Thanks, Kurt. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> And uh, up next, we have uh, a brand new feature that I'm introducing called Spotlight, where we spotlight uh, local South African academies. This week, I have a gentleman from uh, Midrand who who runs his own academy. Uh, have a listen. I'm happy to be joined on the line by Katle Honteke, founder of the Golden Knights Soccer Academy. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing, brother? All good, all good. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Uh, when did you start Golden Knights and what inspired you to start the academy? Uh, we started in 2016. Uh, previously, uh, for so before 2016, three years earlier, I was a part of another academy with a friend I started with. Then we had a bit of a falling out. Then I said, you know what, I'm going to start my own academy because I grew up playing club soccer. So I wanted to basically give the kids in our community the same experience I had because when I was eight till maybe 14, 16, I was playing every weekend. So for me, it built my character. It it gave me friends that I'm still friends till today. So that are like my brothers now. So I wanted to offer that opportunity to kids basically and just guide them in a way. What are some of the challenges that you face running an academy? Uh, the, to be honest, is having your own facilities. Like for me, the biggest issue since I've started is always having to negotiate the facilities and know that next year I'm going to have a home base where the kids can train and our league games will go on. So the issues always land. And also, it's just sponsorship. It's tough to get a solid sponsor that understands the vision because a lot of our funding agencies don't really like to sponsor teams from the suburbs. Like if you, you probably have to know someone at, say, the NYDA or whatever because there's a lot of guys applying. So for me, my struggle has been getting a sponsor, but we keep pushing through it. And because at the end of the day, we're doing it for the kids. Ah, fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me. You're the first uh, of my Spotlight series. Uh, have a great day, yep. Uh, thank you so much for having me, guys. You too, bro. Uh, so interesting stuff. I, I, I've always wanted to kind of do something like this and, and I want to pick you guys' brains. Do you guys remember, uh, tell, tell, tell the listeners about uh, your academy experience. Sean, when did you get started? Yeah, but um, sure, good question. Um, I, I think my initial, I think from hitting 12 years old onwards, because I think before that is the sort of, like, sort of mini league and you don't know where you stand or whatever, but I think 12 years old onwards, I joined Vits. So from 12 till about 17, 18, I was at the Wits Academy, which was um, fantastic. And then from there, I went to play in Europe and I started off in the under-19s, which is still part of the academy. And it's just, uh, obviously, it's chalk and cheese, the difference in terms of professionalism and obviously the money involved. 
But um, in essence, you, you're getting to spend all this time with these guys every day of your life and they, and they become family and you're meeting different coaches from different backgrounds and different players from different backgrounds. And, uh, and that's the thing I enjoyed most about my football career was the traveling I did um, and, and meeting guys from all these different ethnic groups and um, beliefs and, you know, whatever. And it was, um, I've, got, I've, I've got such fond memories of, of being part of the academies because it's what, it's what set me forward for, for my career. Back in the early 70s, and Teko? Slu. Unfortunately for me, Slu, I was never exposed to academies. Um, for me, is, um, I never got spotted early. Um, I think um, at the time, also in Soweto, you had to know somebody that knows somebody to be taken to all these good academies. And I always said that if I had an opportunity to be part of the academy, I think I would have been a better player because mm. I started being coached at a professional level, you know, from the dusty street straight to the PSO. I think I would have been a better player. I think these are the kind of things that, you know, um, I, I like this um, the interview that just happened now. Like the, it's important for the guy to, to get sponsored. It's important for, for this development. It's important to get players into those stages because... You know, there's so many steps that I missed. And uh, fortunate for me, because I had talent and I worked hard on my talent and I was coachable. So I ended up becoming better and better every season. But you can see now, that's why we come back and say, yeah, but you see Claire playing so well with one season and then the rest, they disappear all the careers. It's because probably the chances are we've jumped so many stages. We've never been, you know, exposed to competition, uh, competition at a young age. So now you're in the PSO, you're competing every week. So now players tend to fade away, you know, the pressure is too much. I think it's important to have academies in South Africa. And I think the best academy that we had a while ago, I think, was uh, Sports School of Excellence. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, you know, it's always been, we're looking at Ajax, we always looked at Vets, you know, we always look at the other teams as well, having the good academies and we've seen great players coming from there. It's very, very, very rare to find a player from, from a location and come straight to the PSL and play. So these academies are important. I think there's, uh, there needs to be investment into it. I think Safa needs to look at those. And uh, if we actually want to to improve and help the PSL and help the Dofana team, I think those, that's where we need to start. I think we, we've been taking too many shortcuts in previous years. I think we, we, we if we say that we really, really want to change things, I think that's what we need to start. We need to start investing in this academy and hopefully then we'll find yeah, so a big shout out again to uh, Golden Knights Academy, but we move swiftly forward. Uh, I have a feature called 10 Quick Fire Questions. Uh, 10 Quick Fire is where we get your favorite PSL players on the line, put them on the spot. This week we have... Hi, my name is Vita Macheke, Beatles, Defender. These are my 10 Fire Questions. Thank you. Who is the funniest guy in the PSL that you've played with? Velimo Otra, the Keeper United goalkeeper. And who is the flashiest dresser? Ah, I'll go with Vita. <laughs> You're the flashiest dresser? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Since you're the flashiest dresser, you'll be able to ask, answer this one then. Who's the worst dressed player that you've played with? We can't go, man. Please, for cheaper United, that's son of mine. 
<laughs> what type of clothes do you wear? Anything, any color I get, you just take. As long as it's just he's ready to go. What's the worst mistake you've made in a match? Trying to dribble and they, they took the ball and they scored. I think that's the best. What's your favorite footballing memory? In my day, we said it was a dream come true because everyone wants to play in the PSL. So when you get that opportunity to, to do that, I think you, you feel like, ah, I've done it, even though it was only the beginning, but then it's the greatest moment in our career. All right. Uh, I, since you're a defender, I'll reword this question. So uh, I usually ask, what's the best goal you've scored in a match? But as a defender, I want to know, what's the best goal that a teammate of yours has scored uh, that you that you witnessed while on the pitch? Uh, I think we were playing, uh, it was in Kanda Royal when we, we got promotion to the PSL. There's a guy called Jalani Noveni. We, we were, I think the score was 1-1. We scored that goal, we, we go 2-1 and then we go on top of the leg. And then yeah, I think we did it and I think it was the greatest and it was a very great goal. Yeah. Took the ball, cut inside and uh, a corner. I think it was the, the greatest moment because after that we went on top of the log and we, we, we went to, to, to win the, the NFT. Very nice. Uh, currently, what is your favorite car? <laughs> I'm not into cars, but then uh, I like the, the, the Range Rover Luma for now. I think it's the best. It's the beast, if only I could afford it. <laughs> and then uh, what's your favorite local food, favorite South African food? I know I'm from the from the ghetto, so Mondays we go to Mkhodu, so it's Mkhodu Monday. So in most cases, I prefer Moyo Mkhodu, and yeah, I think for now that's uh, Oh, very nice. And then last but not least, what is your favorite holiday destination? If one day God can bless with me, I can go to, if I can go to Ibiza, I think I'll be, I'll be at peace. Ah, go to Ibiza for that, for that party life, ne? <laughs> yeah. There we go, Zita Machek, with Westwitz, a defender. Uh, it, was a, it was a funny one. I, I don't think we've ever had somebody name themselves as the flashiest <laughs> dresser. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Such, such a character. <laughs> All right. Moving swiftly forward, because I see we are tight on time. Uh, Black Leopards coach Alan Clark has resigned. Um, he has signed for a club in Europe. Uh, it's actually in uh, Kosovo. I know that. And uh, he actually spoke about it. Uh, so we have a couple of inserts here. Play that tang. I'm happy to be joined on the line by former Black Leopards coach Alan Clark. Alan, how are you doing this morning? Yeah, good morning. Thanks so much for having me. All good, thank you. Uh, so I understand that you're not yet able to reveal where you're headed next, uh, but uh, how long have you been considering this move over to Europe? Well, you know, I've done some, I've done some work extensively in Kosovo for a number of years um, with regards to the national team. So uh, I worked with the under-21s in the, in the uh, UEFA qualification rounds. Um, I worked with the under-17s in the elite uh, UEFA qualification rounds. So... I mean, I, I built up quite a good reputation in the country already um, because we did some really good work there with the U21s and the U17s. Um, and so there was always been talk about it, uh, but nothing had materialized until sort of Monday uh, when, a, when a club had sort of made contact and uh, declared their interest in bringing me over there to work uh, with the team, you know. So how do you guys think this affects the relegation battle? Black Leopards, bottom of the log, coach just bounced. One of their best players just signed for Sundowns as well. Uh, do you think it's uh, writing on the wall? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people might not know Alan Clark, but I can tell you now, this is a proper loss to South African football. Technically very good, uh, very good with the players. Um, yeah, so it doesn't look good for Black Leopards, does it? So, 
um, the writing could be on the wall, Slu. That's what I can say. I, I think for me, um, what maybe made the, um, the transition a little bit easier is maybe the team not believing much in Alan because you could see now so many players now leaving the team and you can tell that, uh, you know, with this, uh, the position where they're at, I don't think there's a coach uh, that is in their right mind to actually allow their best players to leave right now, actually, uh, when you're trying to survive the relegation. So I think it was the biggest opportunity for him. And uh, he couldn't wait to bounce because, you know, working under such conditions, especially Leopards, sometimes it's very, very difficult. And we know how um, so-called small teams have been treating the coaches and the players as well. So as a coach, you want to be in an environment where you know that, you know, your vision is clear and uh, the management is buying into your vision, the players are buying into your vision and everybody trusts you. I don't think it was that, that was the case at Leopard, so mm. good luck to mm, him. Sure. Yeah, yeah, he did mention that he's got a good relationship with them and that it was mainly a timing thing. He couldn't wait for the end of the PSL season because then the job in Kosovo might have uh, no longer been there. So he had to take it and strike while the iron's hot. So all the best to Alan Clark. Uh, but we move forward with The Secret Footballer. For those who don't know, Secret Footballer is where we take a look at our sister publication, Kickoff, on their back page. They have a story written by an anonymous uh individual in local football shono who we got this week yeah, what so, do we have this week yeah so just quickly this player talks about how players must adapt when a new coach comes in they have to play because they don't have a choice so take my question comes in to you um, do you think players careers have been affected by the chopping and changes of coaches i mean a player who for example plays as a six and is asked to play as a central defender He's a far better six, but has to play in the defense. And before you know it, he's had a full season in a position that originally wasn't his. Now, come end of the season, he may, he may be out of a contract. And teams now remember him as a central defender and probably not the best central defender. Um, my question to you is, you know, sort of adapting towards coaches coming in. It can really affect you long term, don't you think? It does. Um, I think it's it's important for, for for any player to have a coach that believes in him. Mm. And I've seen I've seen also coaches as well, you know, ending uh, players' areas as well. Because sometimes, like you say, you know, come in and uh, you were playing regularly. All of a sudden, you know where to be found. Nobody can explain anything to you. And then now contract ends. Nobody wants to sign you. So everybody forgets about you. So it becomes a problem. And it's always been happening all over the world, I think. You're lucky enough when the new coach comes in, actually likes how you play and probably may want to build a team around you. And that's not the case for everyone. So I think it's important for players to be able to adjust, especially with all the European coaches that have been coming into the country. Because the mm. first thing that we as players don't want to do is I, I can't uh, change the way that I play. I always want to play the way that I play. I want to dribble. You know, I want the crowd to love me. Not understanding as well that sometimes... For you to adjust is actually improving your game. You know, I think sometimes it's looking at the positive from what the coach is telling you. And if, if there's something that is uncomfortable, I think it's important to have a conversation about it. So that Because sometimes we bring in coaches that don't understand the culture of the players themselves. Forget about the football. Sure. Understanding the culture of the players themselves. Because South African players, normally when there is a problem, they don't talk about it. They don't go to the coaches because they believe that they were not brought up in that way where they actually have to have a conversation with the coach of something that they find problematic on the pitch or their position or the way they've been trained. So I think it's important to have that kind of a conversation. And if the coach is approachable, that helps as well. So but I've seen coaches ending players' careers. So I think it's important for players as well to bear in mind that the coach will fire you before he gets fired first. 
Absolutely. Definitely. So, moving forward, we have this week in football history. Today, we remember great moments from the past. We dive into the time capsule. Join us as we remember great moments from this week in football history. This week, back in 2010, Pele announced the return of the New York Cosmos after a 25-year hiatus, and he did serve as the club's honorary president for a while. Uh, I mentioned this because back in the 70s, New York Cosmos was the home of one Jomo Sono and would inspire the name of his team, Jomo Cosmos. This week in 2008, Tottenham confirmed the £19 million sale of striker Robbie Keane to Liverpool, who stated at the time that he was a lifelong Reds fan, but his stay at Anfield lasted barely six months and Liverpool sold him back to Tottenham for 12 million pounds and that is the easiest 7 million pounds that Spurs will ever make mm. this week back in 1993 Mamelodi Sundowns clinched the NSL Castle League title uh, they had clinched it in the round before and they finished three uh, points ahead of Morocco Swallows with a 1-0 away win over Ratanang. Um, they had it in the bag on goal difference, though. And the next time that they'd win the title would be five years later when it would be known in its current iteration, the Premier Soccer League or the PSL, which they would win a record nine times. Yeah. And... That is how we wrap up this week in football history. And, uh, you know, Sundown's going for 10, by the way. I forgot to mention that. That would be uh, potentially insane as a, as a, as a stat line. But Damn. Um, Damn. we move forward. I think we can jump to the car of the week. Vavavoom. Vavavoom. <laughs> That's the vavavoom. <laughs> vavavoom. All right, car of the week. We go to Klompo Kakan. I don't know if you've seen this week on Sokola Duma how he has been sponsored the new Golf R, the 2020 Golf R. Beautiful. The Golf R is powered by a two-liter turbocharged engine. The R is as fast as a Porsche 718 Boxster. The DSG is even faster, taking 0.100 in 4.8 seconds. It is an extremely impressive car, but the regular Golf GTI is so capable and so much more affordable, it begs the question as to whether the R was worth the extra money, coming in at a whopping 700,000 Rand. Expensive, but beautiful. For me, a beautiful 8.5 out of 10. Well done, Chlompa. Very, very nice. I love the R series of, of, of VW. It's by the beautiful. Way. Yeah, they no, they're tight. Beautiful. Yeah, the R and the and the is it the Sirocco or the Scirocco? Sirocco, yeah. Scirocco, that's the one. Um, but uh, we close off. Uh, we all need some motivation. We're all motivated by the return of football, but uh, you know we need some motivation to wait until the eighth. I think. Uh, yes, what you sir. got for us, Ron? Yes, sir. So my boy Karma Billiat said, "Discipline is the bridge between goals and accomplishment." Ooh. Very, Damn. very nice. Damn. Very, very nice. Damn. We got deep thinkers in the PSL, yo. But um, that is how we wrap up episode number 37 of The Car Wash. Whether you've been listening to us on SO Radio, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or uh, Game Time on Mahikang FM, thank you very much for joining. Uh, from myself, Slupaho, a uh, peace out, and I'll leave Sean and Teko to sign out themselves. In Corsica, cool. <laughs> Not bad for a white guy. Not bad for a white guy. Today is a great day for a car wash. Yeah, sure. Car wash. <laughs> <laughs> this is the car wash on Sakala Duma Radio. This is a Hagana corner.